Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the program. We are live, as usual, here at Blast Off Productions in New York City, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. At this hour, the stars are shining bright on Broadway this fall with some legendary actors returning to the stage in multiple new shows. I'm going to talk with a legendary Tony Award-winning Broadway producer about the business and his very successful career in this city, the greatest city of the world in the world, and that is New York City. Also at this hour, as I have said on many occasions on this program, real estate agents come from a variety of backgrounds, and most did not set out to work in this field. It is unusually uh, difficult and usually a second career or third career for most. But with that said, we are seeing young millennials coming into the business right out of school, a tough thing to do, but the hardworking ones will make a successful career. Because we work so hard, we all look for outside interests to keep us focused and fresh. So what do agents do in their spare time? Well, that runs the gamut, and we will Mm -hmm. talk about that. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, your host, and you're listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. The stars, as I said, are shining this bright uh, bright this year on Broadway and with some legendary actors returning to the stage in multiple new shows. Actors like Daniel Radcliffe, Cherry Jones, Bobby Cannavale, Elaine May, Joan Allen, Michael Urey, Mercedes Rule, and Mary Lou Henner, just to name a few. The Share Show, can't wait for that, begins on November 1st with the one and only, and finally, To Kill a Mockingbird, adapted by Aaron Sorkin, begins November 1st at the Schubert. I want to talk about a hilarious new Broadway show that I saw called Getting the Band Back Together. It had an all-star cast, including Mary Lou Henner, from Taxi Days. It was directed by Tony Award winner John Rando, and it was playing at the Belasco Theater. The show is really a funny story about a 40-year-old guy who loses his Wall Street job and has to move back with his mom in New Jersey. Can you imagine that one? And decides to get his high school band back together. Lots of laughs from the very beginning. You can just imagine what ensues. Great music, so original and energizing. I saw it twice. And loved it. The book was by Ken Davenport and the Grundle Shots. I got that right? You got you it go. right. Ken is also a producer on the show, and he is here with me today to discuss the show and his illustrious career. Also here is Sean Atterbury, another producer on the show and a real estate agent with Core Real Estate here in New York City. Ken Davenport is a Tony Award-winning producer on Broadway and Off-Broadway, including most recently Groundhog Day, the musical, Deaf West, uh, Spring Awakening, and the play that goes wrong, as well as the Broadway revival Once on on This Island, for which he won a Tony Award, and the original musical, as I just mentioned, Getting the Band Back Together, and that just recently closed. Davenport has revolutionized the Broadway market with his diverse approaches at energizing audiences through his show. That is so true. My God, tap dancing and on your feet practically the entire time. He's internationally recognized and award-winning writer of several Broadway and off-Broadway shows, as well as several books about producing, Broadway investing, and how to raise money for shows. Additionally, he is the executive producer for North America for Andrew Lloyd Webber's Really Useful Group. In 2004, he formed Davenport Theatrical Enterprises and began producing his own shows. He was one of the first producers to have three shows running simultaneously on Broadway. He has returned to Broadway. He returned rather soon after that, and he has since produced shows as 13 
You're welcome, America. God spell kinky boots. Oh, my God, kinky boots. Oh my wow. God. Uh, Haven't you, Dad? My goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know Beth. anything about real estate. So <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. He, he practices we don't want to talk about real estate. Spare time. Know, Macbeth. Right. Here's another one. The Bridges of Madison County. Mothers and Sons. It's only a play and the visit. Sean Atterbury has an expansive knowledge of the New York City housing market. He works on a team ranked among the top 50 teams nationwide by the Wall Street Journal and Real Trends. He has been top ranked for a number of transactions and gross commissions. He has been involved in several new development projects, and he also specializes in resale uh, uh, properties. Sean has consistently delivered results for both buyers and sellers, having gained vast experience within the industry. After being involved in over 200 re- uh, real estate transactions, he grew up in Northern Virginia and attended George Mason University where he received a bachelor's degree in music. And we talked about this just before the show. Prior to his real estate career, he had a successful singing career, not dancing, on Broadway <laughs> and around the world. In his Too spare time, he enjoys <laughs> competing in triathlons, surfing, paddleboarding competitions, and he currently resides on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I mean, well, I don't know. We're neighbors. We're neighbors, but I mean, how do you do all that stuff and, and, and do a real estate you know, business every day? It's beyond me. Tough. So, Time good morning, management. gentlemen. Nice to see you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Ken, let me ask you. So, the play, you know, and I've been carrying on about this play for weeks. The play, Getting the Band Back Together, recently closed, and in my opinion, it closed prematurely. Broadway is a tough machine, but the critics are worse. What happened? What, I mean, what, what, explain to the audience out there who knows a little bit about Broadway or how the machine works. What happened? How did the show close, I mean, so quickly, or why? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, there's a number of factors that go into the success or lack thereof of, of any business. Uh, it can be seasonality. You know, we launched at a time in the summer, which is a very difficult time to launch a new musical. Uh, new musicals, new plays usually depend on early adopters, which are New Yorkers uh, who go to see shows early and then start word of mouth. Well, New Yorkers or even folks in New Jersey who are our core audience in the summer, they are not coming into the city or they aren't in the city. They're down on the shore, they're in the Hamptons, uh, and going to the theater is not their normal activity. So we had a little bit of a seasonality issue. Um, the critics were not as kind as we would have liked. Uh, critics actually don't make or break a Broadway show. That's a, a common misconception. That's a good point. Uh, but what they do do is they provide what I call a steroid shot of sales. So what they what they do is a show will load in some advertising. We'll start uh, we'll start with a decent sized audience, and then it takes about three to six months for word of mouth to really kick in. So what critics will do is give you a little shot, a little boost if the reviews are positive to get you to uh, that word of mouth kicking in about three to six months. It's why sometimes you see shows with great reviews actually fail three months after the reviews come out. Um, and in this case, we needed that steroid shot a little bit more because we were doing what I call like the triple axle of Broadway musicals in that we were doing something totally original. So if I were to ask you what musicals are playing on Broadway right now, you might mention Lion King, you might mention Mean Girls, you might mention any of the many movie to musical adaptations or things that have strong brand recognition. We were doing something totally original. Before you gave that introduction, you your listeners probably never heard of the musical Getting the Band Back Together. And yeah, we had Mary Lou Henner in it, but we didn't have Hugh Jackman in it, right? Mm-hmm. So we were doing something that had a very, very high degree of difficulty, something that I'm very proud of and something that I love doing, but it's a much bigger risk. But one of the things I really enjoyed most about the show was the fact that it was original. It wasn't a revival. It's not your, you know, your tried and true, you know, show that's 
coming and going for years and you know at a time which is you know there's an audience for that and that's great and I certainly participate in all that but but getting the band back was was original it was filled with energy the cast was amazing and you just felt good from the minute that curtain went up until you know they took their bow at the end because it was that much uh, of a of a performance and you know you know the players I don't at all but they, they look like they worked really hard to put that show on eight times a week whatever it is it's quite amazing New York One recently said that Davenport is one of Broadway's most influential businessmen. How did that happen? I mean, you've been doing this for years, but how do you become the most influential businessman on the Great White Way? I mean, that's that's a hard task to to you know accomplish. Well, I don't I don't think you know you actually do anything specific. I mean, I think you know I've been in this industry now for twenty five years. Uh, I went to NYU and, and went to Tisch, and while I was in college there, I was lucky enough to get a production assistant gig on a Broadway show, and when it was offered to me, I remember thinking, I have no idea what this actually means, but I'm going to do it, because it's going to be around a Broadway show. Uh, and so that was you know, back in 19... Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and I just kept doing small show after small show and trying new things, and then eventually started managing shows and learning the business really from a wide variety of producers. Um, I actually started as an actor, and I remember getting all these different acting methods thrown at me, Stanislavski and Mammoth's method and all these, Stella Adler. And what I did, even as an actor... And a method is a method, right? I mean... Right, and what I did was try to borrow from each one. mm. And that's actually how I developed my producing style as well. I worked for some of the greatest in the business as I was coming up, and I just took what I liked from each one to assemble my own style. Did you grow up, though, when you were much younger before college and, I guess, in grade school and in high school, you know, dreaming about Broadway, dreaming about plays? Because a lot of kids, if unless you're New York City-centric, you don't really think about Broadway. You don't really think about musicals or plays or even acting. Did you think about those things when you were very young and kind of formulating your your thoughts about what do I want to do with my career as as I get older? I know I did. That's all I ever wanted to do. Of course, it didn't work, but that's all what I wanted to do. You're on Broadway now. I am. <laughs> right now. Right now. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> we, our studio's on Broadway. That's We're right. Defending. That's my claim to fame. You got it. Oh, I got it. <laughs> but but, but did, you, did you at any point think that this is maybe where I'm going to go? Or did no, you want to absolutely. be a finance guy? I mean, what did you want to do? So I was... Uh, dragged to an audition for a local theater production when I was five years old. I did it until I was 12. Right. Uh, but then I, I got too cool for it. And I thought I was going to play for the Boston Red Sox and the Celtics simultaneously. Like I was going to be that kid. <laughs> Disney was going to make movies of me. It was going to be awesome. Of course. Uh, and then I, was gonna, I went to a small college prep school in Central Mass that turns out doctors and lawyers. So I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, and then I saw my, my life changed when I saw Les Mis when I was 16 years old. Uh, so yeah. I consider myself part of the Les Mis generation. That'll do it. There's yeah. a whole group of us that changed focus because of that. So How many I, times did you see it? Oh, I can out Les Mis you okay. any day. You can break into a little confrontation right now if you want. Uh, On my own. One of my brother's favorite shows. I think he's listening this morning. But go, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I... I actually quit my basketball team in a very dramatic scene right out of high school musical. Like I walked <laughs> off, like I quit and I'm going to do the musical. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to do and it. Anyone right? who remembers that moment now oh, is like, yeah. well, he did it. <laughs> I, so I did my high school musical and then I um, ended up going to Johns Hopkins University for a year, but transferred like right away to Tisch. 
uh, and I had very supportive parents, and I just had this feeling like I'm gonna, I've got to do this. I don't really know where it's gonna end up, but the theater is where I belong. And it's some advice I give to a lot of young folks: is you don't have to know exactly the place in the industry where you're going to work, exactly what role you're gonna fill, uh, even in real estate, right? But what I knew is the theater is where I belong. So I came here to find out what area of the theater I belonged in. And that eventually, after about 10 years, led to producing. All right, we're going to leave it there and take a break. Much more with Ken Davenport. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. We will be right back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Ken Davenport. So you are now a producer, and then you've come through the childhood dreams of whatever. You got to where you are, like most of us, not kind of knowing where you might end up or, or you know, land, but, you, you, you know, you got there. When you're thinking about a show today, you're thinking about, you know, mounting a new show, what, what inspires you? I mean, what, what's the thinking process that you go through to put something together like the one I just recently saw, the ones that you've already been involved in, Kinky Boots. I mean, what, how, what, what do you think about when you're, in particular, writing a show? Well, when I have to look, producing theater is a very high-risk industry, right? So it has to be something I love. It has to get me in the gut in the same way that Les Mis did when I was 16 years old. I have to live and breathe this thing for, you know, eight, ten years, and hopefully much longer if the show is successful. The gestation project for these musicals can be like actually constructing a building, right? It takes a long time and it's very challenging and it's very expensive. And, you know, the odds of success in the industry are actually one out of five. So that's the average. I'm actually lucky enough to be beating that average, but it's only a 20% success rate. 
So you're entering into this game going like, wow, there's an 80% chance this is not going to work out. So whatever show I'm going to work on, I better really, really love it. Or as I say, uh, Broadway musicals are, are like your kids. They're very expensive and often they disappoint you. So you better, you better love them. Uh, so, and then I, <laughs> a cast full of children. Yeah. Just imagine. Oy. So then I just look for something that resonates with me. I mean, I'm a big fan of the underdog story. I'm a big fan of yeah. watching people achieve great things that they didn't really know they could achieve when they started out. Uh, so I look for that. Like for example, one of the musicals I'm developing is based on the life of Joy Mangano, who mm. was the subject of the movie Joy, that incredible businesswoman from incredible. Long Island. Mm. Like that, to me, is the ultimate musical story. I will go see that musical. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. I'll sell you tickets right now. <laughs> I'll buy them. We'll buy. <laughs> and the show we'll actually buy. isn't even written yet, so yeah. we're just starting that process now. But that's something I can feel in my gut will be. We'll so, what do you do? What do you enjoy more, writing or producing, or or both? I mean, because they're two very different, you know, disciplines. Well, I, you know, it's so funny because I consider myself a what Hal Prince back in the day called a creative producer. So I write shows, but I I don't write all my shows. Um, I write some of them when they really kind of get me and I just can't stop my fingers from getting something out. Um, I also just tend to create things. I mean, a producer is really an entrepreneur. We are a, a business person. Right. Uh, I call myself a serial startup guy because if I do two musicals in a year, it's two brand new businesses, two management teams, two marketing plans, mm -hmm. two products, two places to sell that product. And Sounds exhausting. Uh, yeah, it's also invigorating. You know, it's right. like it's a high wire act. Right. Um, but uh, so I, I, each each show that I decide what role I'm going to play, depending on how it gets me in the gut. All right. So the big night comes, red carpet, New York City. The show is nominated. Your name is called. I just won a Tony Award. What does that feel like? I mean, I, after I'm, years of 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 you know producing and writing and 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 being involved in theater. The show wins a Tony Award. What do you do? I mean, how do you feel about that? I really wish I could remember the moment because I can't. Um, so, you know, you're talking, of course, about Once on this Island, the revival right. that I produce this year, which is another, frankly, underdog of a musical. Um, we I were, haven't seen that yet, but that's next. I can sell you tickets to those. Too. Uh, like radio <laughs> show, right team, now. field trip. Right yes, exactly. let's go. I would like to go. Uh, it's right over here. So I... Sold. We, great. Um, <laughs> We were up against My Fair Lady and Carousel, these mm. big classic musicals. Wow. And here was this Once in the Silent, which was a show, frankly, back to what motivates me, I saw when I first moved to New York, because it's a revival. So I saw the original production. It got me back then. So when the chance came to produce it, I did it. And I don't remember, I remember hearing Once in the Silent. And the next thing I know is I remember seeing Tina Fey's leg in the aisle because I was like running to the stage because you only have like 45 seconds to say what you want to say. And uh, I was like, don't trip on Tina Fey's leg. Don't trip on Tina Fey's leg. That's all that I can remember on my way up there. Gotta love Tina Fey sitting right up front, of course. So, you know, when, when you're thinking about a show and you, you put the show all together, what does it take to get a big name to the show? And because a lot of times you go to the theater and there are spectacular actors and actresses, and you just don't really know who they are because they're not mainstream big names and stuff. But what does it take to attract a big name to a show that's really just starting? 
Um, well, it depends a lot on the show itself, of course. They have to be attracted to the role. It has to be a great showcase for them. Uh, the challenge, actually, with getting a star these days to do a role is you have to get through the 142 gatekeepers right. before the star. Right. The agent, the manager, the lawyer, the relative, that like all these people that protect them, quote-unquote – because frankly, if you could ever just get to the person, especially someone like me, because if I'm doing a show I'm passionate, I'm going to sell that person on it. I just got to get to them. Right. And how long does it take you to get to them it, in some well, cases? It, it can take a while, you know, especially if you're going the traditional route. I like to try to go the untraditional route. So Mary Lou Henner, actually, I saw at an opening night party, <laughs> and I literally was like, oh, my gosh, she's the perfect person. for. She, was, she was really perfectly, perfectly cast for that role. She yeah, really thanks. did a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah, she really did. So what, let, let's talk about the business side of it for a little bit. So when you're putting a show together, what does it cost to, to mount a show on, on uh, Broadway? Obviously, a musical is going to cost more than a play. What does it cost typically? And, and how do you go about driving you know, that business, as you call it, and, and raising the revenue to put that show on? So plays nowadays can cost anywhere from probably two and a half to $4 million dollars. Uh, musicals, you know, revivals can be about seven to ten. New musicals can be ten to fifteen million dollars. There's a musical across the street, King Kong, which is a monster of a musical, literally probably around thirty million dollars. Um, so yeah, this is um, it's a it's a wow. lot of money to put these shows on. But you're talking about it's you know it's it's, Union Gorilla, so yeah. that's why. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but you're talking about the most expensive city in the world. I mean, the the real estate's very expensive here. The yeah. labor is very expensive here. Um, and the talent is expensive. Exactly. So, so well, I mean, what do you do to raise the money? How do you do that? So, you know, it's so funny that it, it's like raising money for anything else or like selling anything else. Really, that's what I am. That's what I think mm -hmm. all entrepreneurs really are, are salespeople. Um, and we're I'm just selling a show, whereas some people may be selling an apartment. Some people may be selling hardware, medical supplies, whatever it is. So I have to find people that are interested, you know, the number one the uh, thing that theater investors have in common is they like the theater, mm. right? Mm. It is passion investing. It is an alternative asset class, if you will. Um, it's The industry as a whole is going through this real gold rush time. It's a real boom time right now um, because of Hamilton, because of Frozen, because of Harry Potter. There's a real lightning bolt to our industry right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's um, there, you know, actually Universal Pictures said that Wicked will be their most profitable Enterprise like beating Jurassic Park, beating wow. ET. Wow. That's that's yes. really uh, interesting. Disney has said the same thing about the Lion King over Star well, Wars. Well, Lion King, I can see that because that's been running forever. But mm -hmm. Wicked, yeah, I guess that's running fifteen it's, years. It's or because so. we have these open-ended runs and can charge very high ticket prices for twenty, thirty years, and then spawn multiple, multiple productions of it. So it's very. Uh, that's what we, we we can talk about that when we're raising money for sure. And we're trying to sell people on the show itself. Uh, you know, what's funny and one of the reasons that uh, Sean's sitting next to me is that I find actually the some of the most successful money raisers for the theater are real estate agents. So what I do when I work on a show is not only do I raise money individually, but I will subcontract out the financing, if you right. will. If you've ever been to a Broadway show and see all those names above the title, so mm -hmm. someone like me, their name is going to be at the top, then there's all these other names. Those are co-producers. Co-producers right. or bundlers are responsible responsible for raising money, and real estate agents are who like the theater do a lot of that. Yeah, yeah I, I can see it. Involved. it was great. Yeah, so um, tell us about the experience, though, because, again, you know, 
having a career and being very busy in your career and then doing this, I mean, that it's a lot of work. Um, get, getting involved in this, uh, you know, to, to start out, just before I got my real estate license, I was actually working for 10 for about 50 bucks a week doing an off-Broadway show, uh, which is pretty funny. Um, and, uh, you know, real estate came along. I'd had a long performing career. This, this was an opportunity. I was in a high school band. I knew about this musical, uh, and, and it, and it really hit me. It, it, you know, it, it spoke to me and I thought, this is fun. Like I, you know, and I'm going to tell my friends about it. I want to get people in. I'm interested in raising money because I believe in this, you know, and you, and you know, you say, listen, this is, this has to be risk capital. Mm-hmm. Don't put your kid's college fund Correct. in this, but this Correct. is really fun to be a part of. Right. And I, the, the, um, the emotional sort of ride and enjoyment was worth everything. Uh, that, that was fantastic. And, and getting to use, you know, getting friends involved and, and a couple of clients and, you know, uh, get, getting them into it was very enjoyable. I wish I would have known because I, I would be very interested. But let me ask you another question, Ken. So what is easier to fund, uh, um, uh, a revival or that somebody, you know, a revival or something that's brand new, like getting the band back? I keep going to that one because I think, you know, one is kind of tried and true. One has been there before. Maybe it's a new cast, but it's kind of the same show. And another one is, as Sean just said, very risk oriented because it's brand spanking new and no one knows anything about it. What's easier or, or are they both comparable? That's a great question. And they're very different. You know, I, they're, they're, when it comes to investing in anything, I don't think there's ever a black and white, yes or no, green or red type of decision. It's evaluating, of course, what level of risk you're willing to take. So a new musical is more risky than a revival, right? But a new musical has unlimited upside. That's where you're going to get a Hamilton. That's where you're going to get a Wicked, a Rent, a Les Mis, et cetera. The revivals, there's a cap on how well you're going to do because you're not investing in the first McDonald's, if you will, or the right. first restaurant, the first right. start of a franchise. So while it may be more risky to invest in a new musical, um, there's a lot more upside, which for me, I think that's the way to go. If you're going to take high-risk capital and go after something – you might as well go after a, an oil well, right? Uh, it may take you, you have to drill a whole bunch of holes in order to find it. Um, but if you do, the upside of a gusher is just much better than... What do you find the biggest challenges when you're mounting a, a revival? Because the show's played before, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Is it the choreography? Is it directing? Is it just kind of spicing it up a little bit from the last show production or what's the biggest challenge with doing that the biggest challenge is and it's a reason to do it or not do it so i won't do a revival unless i can answer the question why now so what makes this production different from the original production right Right. to just remount the same thing frankly that's boring to me um and doesn't do what i think all what theater and certainly all arts should do which is subtly comment on something and get the audience to think about something in a new way uh, my production of Once on the Silent, which was masterfully directed by Michael Arden, who also did my Spring Awakening, um, he had this idea and this vision to set Once on the Silent in a disaster area like Haiti after a hurricane. Um, so it's a very realistic production, um, which when you walk in and you see what these people have gone through, you can't help but think about what just happened and you saw on CNN that weekend. I've got about a minute left. Tell us what's next in the world of Ken Davenport. What are we about to see or hear about coming up soon? Uh, Well, lots of stuff. I've got uh, Joy coming up, as I mentioned. I'm developing a musical based on the Vacation franchise. So you've seen 
vacation, European vacation, Vegas vacation. We're developing Broadway vacation, a Broadway musical where the Griswolds come to New York City for the first time. Yeah, we're very excited. That's that's he's casting. He's casting me and my family. That's going to be good. Yeah, and in the meantime. I uh, actually, you know, I have a blog at theproducersperspective.com. Anyone interested in the theater should check it out or a podcast as well. Your and, podcast is great. I've listened oh, to some thanks. shows. Yeah. We have a big conference coming up on November 11th and 12th. I'm a big believer in the theater. It changed my life. Um, so I know it can change others. So I put together pros and people that want to be involved in the theater. And uh, we talk about how to get more of it out there in the world. Sounds great. Ken Davenport, thank you so much for being here today. Come back again. My pleasure. Thanks and so much. And we will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Everybody, we are back, and thanks once again to Ken Davenport, Broadway producer extraordinaire here in New York City. We are with the panel, John McPeak from Halstead Real Estate, John Harrison from CORE, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Noah Kaplan makes his return from Nest Seekers International, and Sean Atterbury is uh, here with us from CORE Real Estate as well. So, as we open the show in the very beginning, I've said many times on this program, real estate agents come from a variety of backgrounds. And most did not set out to work in this field. It is usually a second or third career for most. But with that said, we are seeing young millennials coming into the field right out of school. It's a tough thing to do. It's a hard, you know, world of hard knocks, whatever, so to speak. But, you know, those who work hard can make a success out of it. But whether you're a young millennial, whether you're in the business for a long time, we all work so hard. We all need to have a little bit of a diversion after work outside interest to keep us focused and fresh, right? So what do we do in our spare time? And, you know, I posted something on Facebook the other day, and an agent here in New York City who shall remain nameless said, agents don't have free time to do all or whatever. And I'm thinking, what a putz. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> really. Get a, a life. I mean, well, there are there are some top agents that really do nothing but real estate. They wake I, but up she's at not such a top agent, but, I mean, I get what she was <laughs> doing. Mean, I mean, no, I, I know Busy a people that, that really do nothing but live and breathe real estate. And I find that to be really But if that's your only identity. But I do other stuff, too. I may never don't. Well, listen, when you have children, no, 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 you, know, you get involved in lots of things because you've got a family and kids, and that's a great you know, distraction from our, our crazy work. But what are some of the interests? I mean, Sean and I were talking just briefly before uh, the, the show in the, in the green room, and he was a singer on Broadway for, for years. So 
How did that happen? Sure. And I don't, I mean, I, I think in life we can have multiple identities. And even if you yes. are, as you know, John mentioned, your, your family with kids, whatever, that's how you're meeting clients. Right. You know, Absolutely. And those things, you know, you're in a cycling group and you go cycling. Those are your clients. Those are your friends. Those are Absolutely. That's yeah, not life that's life naturally lends to real estate. Yeah, it's, it's, working. it's life work. It's networking. And that's why I think we, we all agree in this business that it's not really a job. It's kind of a lifestyle. Because Absolutely. we meet yeah. people all the time, right? Absolutely. I've been saying that for a long time. I actually started real estate uh, right out of college. So I was one of those those people that, that said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard. At the beginning, when I started, all I did was work because I kind of had to. Yeah. I had no other choice if I wanted to stay in New York. Um, so I did that. And then as, as you get more successful and things start to really work for you, you, you say, all right, what are my real hobbies? What are my interests? For me, you know, a couple things, working out. You know, I played college football. So getting back in the gym and meeting clients that way, um, that, was, that was one great way. Uh, another one is just travel, you know, and the, the general lifestyle that any agent lives. Um, you know, for me, I do a lot of traveling. I meet a lot of great people while I do that. Yeah. And it turns into business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. True, but Thank you work. very much, Chase. Uh-huh. It's You're working. Travel, Everything Chase. falls yeah, under exactly. that wonderful no, word networking, right? Yeah, I think what Niall just said is pretty critical, just getting out of the city. You know, I think every – get out of the city. Get on a plane every 60 days, I think, to uh, avoid burnout and – uh, I think this you should. This is coming from the from the people yeah. that don't have any kids. No, but you gotta. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I, think, I have two I think kids. For, I travel all the time. You I think do. for anyone working in a real estate brokerage, whether it be management or brokers, you should vacation more because you're working more. You gotta save the, the shoes once in a while because the concrete jungle is really rough on the leather on your shoes, right? You gotta for get sure. out. You gotta you know spread. I like to keep my leather soft, it, you know. If you think about it, um, you know, we spend a lot of time working and talking about sellers. We spend a lot of time running around with buyers, Absolutely. and oftentimes you're running around with buyers that you you like as human beings. So I always say to them, like towards the end of a tour, can you just imagine doing anything else? Like what's better than my job when I get to run around with great people, look at interesting properties and talk shop and talk about other things other than real estate too and really get to know people. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing, Noah, because that's pretty exciting. Actually. Well, actually last night, I'll just start with last night. I was actually at <laughs> Uh, the Tectonic Theater Project's uh, reading of the Laramie Project, which was, and it has nothing to do with what you guys wanted me to talk about, but it, uh, <laughs> but it, but it, nonetheless, it is relevant. <laughs> well, but nonetheless, it is relevant. Relevant. And, and we're talking about what agents do in their spare time. This is one of the things uh, that I did last night. It was Ander- uh, Anderson Cooper was there as a host, and this was a night uh, to honor the life and legacy of Matthew Shepard. Um, who was uh, who was beaten because he was gay and oh uh, and he died from ago. that, and that happened back in '94, and the world has changed ever since, and so we got to thank we have to thank his oh, life wonderful. and legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but besides that, I'm also working on a show. Um, you know, sort of, you know, not not as not as uh, relevant or or as valuable. But anyway, I'm working on a show called Thousand Dollar Listing, and episode one is almost done. Um, and hopefully there'll be more episodes and Hey, if you're a production company, say hello and don't be a stranger and let's have some fun and make it, make a show. No, <laughs> fundraising. Is this, an ex- this is an extension from the project you started a couple of years it's ago. It's an extension. Yes. Those are like sure, pitch sure. videos that you made. Yeah. There's not, those aren't necessarily a part of the official episode one. So yeah. So episode one, no one has seen it yet. Um, and I hope that I'm as, still as funny. And uh, thank you so much. But the theme remains the same. The theme remains the same. I'm not afraid to look bad um, and, and show and show apartments. Not looking bad. It's being human. That, exactly right. That's exactly right. I think all too often as agents, we all look so great. 
but we but we don't find ourselves or we, we you don't see on TV you don't see um, the way that people actually live and majority of New Yorkers and people all around the world live a certain way that we don't see in Million Dollar Listing that we don't see on HGTV and I'm excited to bring that back too for <laughs> so that's that's essentially can, maybe yeah. I can be a star and we could do a throwback to like my early days like washing paper plates and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's exactly the dishwasher. I've never been there. Paper plates go in the dishwasher. Listen, like plates. I said at the start of the program, you know, this is somebody's, everybody's second, third, and sometimes fourth career. So you never know what people have done in their past until you kind of peel back that onion. Anyway, let's move on. Producing videos, now that we're continuing to talk about uh, uh, show business, producing videos of property and lifestyle photo shoots are the rage, all the rage these days. Okay, lifestyle shoots, all the rage. Uh, in our business, at least here in New York City, I don't know much about the other marketplaces. So, do you think this is bringing additional notice to your listings and attracting future clients? Uh, the property videos, lifestyle stuff, or is it just kind of mundane, same old, same old? I mean, we can go back to the beginnings when we talked about virtual staging and all that kind of stuff. Now, what was that 3D something or other we used to watch that made me dizzy? Now we're oh, up to yeah. video. So yeah, is that 3D a, floor plans? Oh yeah, yeah. Whatever. I think there's yeah. a level of sure. there's a level of competitiveness, competition that um, if so many people are doing these lifestyle videos and you're not, then there's a perception out there that uh, you yeah. may not be as successful or you may not be as um, you know with it as the people that are doing it. So it's not that you need it; it's that it, it it's kind of a keeping up with the Joneses thing, which is kind of unfortunate. But it, it's they're actually really fun to do, and it's a nice way to, of getting your personality out there outside of just Instagram posts and Facebook posts. Does anyone do that anymore? Yeah, I mean, like it adds a story to the property. It adds a story to the property, and I think in the in the in the days of social media and Instagram stories and Facebook stories, whatever. You're right. I think it adds to it, and I think it it enhances um, uh, the 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 selling effort or the marketing effort. And you know what? I do see that people are paying attention. Now, our company also has been hounding us forever to do all of these lifestyle yeah. shots. I keep forgetting to book we, mine, but... We stop forgetting, Vince. I it's like time that. to get with the program. Uh, we are exactly. all it's our really own important. brand, Honestly, and Corey this is voted, critical what, one for now, that to continue said, to build yeah. that brand. Is it just it's me, true. or have you noticed that there are too Mic many drop. agents that are too quick to but go live? Tracy Hammersley is live. Watch and see what I'm going to say now on this property. And people are a little too quick. And it's well, half of them don't know what they're saying. I mean, you got to you got to right. you've got to put a story together before you just get out there and do a story. It's a public service announcement to all of your agents listening to this. Yes. I 100 percent agree. <laughs> the, the lifestyle thing, I think, is yours very is great. Effective. By the way, your team's is great. Uh, yeah, we, I love we're, it. We're like really. Actually, Niall kind of ex- inspired me. He's like always create content like all day, content, day. baby, all day long. So we have like <laughs> friends who are like trying to get into the like, photography right. game or He's whatever. Right. So we'll just do shoots and we just have tons of content backlogged, especially when the weather's like today or like in the winter. You have like nice sunny photos mm-hmm. and, you know, things are like good, <laughs> happy, not depressed. Like these are good things to have. Uh, and they also draw more likes and more interactions and comments and stuff like that. So I think just uh, integrating regular everyday life, like your spare time stuff, for instance, is, is pretty critical Imperative. to your, to your uh, the image you're kind of trying to build. I agree. I think if it's all real estate all the time, yeah, what I, we're I, doing, yeah, i got to take a break. Out. Yeah, It is. We're such an ADD culture that if there's not video, then pictures start to get sort of boring. And in terms of like the the live feed, it, it things should be interesting. They should be catchy, but they also get like a twelve hundred percent boost whenever you're feeding something through uh, uh, social media. 
So it's so I think that quality is going to start to increase as mm. everybody starts doing something. Then it's no longer interesting. And um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, he's actually doing Instagram live it, right now. It's <laughs> no longer interesting. So people have to keep up in the game quality wise, too, which is, I think, starting to happen. Right. But I think that needs to continue to to get better because I think a lot of people jump to the live, jump to this story, jump to whatever, and they're not putting a lot of thought behind it. And it can get a little, I mean, I start watching stuff sometimes and I just say I have not, enough yeah, of this. And it starts to dilute the inter- good stuff, right. yeah. which is unfortunate. Right. It's and not it, interesting. And you have to remember, too, when you're talking about Instagram, for everyone who's, who's watching, if you're talking about Instagram stories, it is just that. It's a story. You should be focusing on telling a story, not right. posting random things left and right that's like that's not going to get yeah. you anywhere my stories right. get my stories get more traction than anything else i do I've, they do i've done they several do. deals you this tell summer a story but i've done several story. deals this summer just based on my stories before things have even hit the market yeah so i usually document photo shoots or like funny stuff we're doing in between and people react to it agents are like i have somebody for that what is that? it's a lot of work but you know what if you do it and if you build content constantly as, as uh, niall always says i mean that's what's going to get your attention and that's mm-hmm. what's going to you know show up out there and people going to say wow that's kind of interesting and 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 the ones that are done well you take right through to the end because it's 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 worth it uh, on the heels of that, you know, many real estate professionals, you know, in the luxury market agree that social media is one of the most effective tools to engage new buyers, sellers, you know, investors, partners, friends, best way to network. Do you guys, when we've been really just talking about all that, do you find that it's really helping your business? I mean, it's a big buzz out there these days, social media and how to better become at it, but is it really helping your business? I think that, you know, our job, if you're selling a property, exposing that to as many possible buyers as possible is is, is your job. And so if social media is another avenue, it might not be the only avenue, but it's certainly another thing to explore. Uh, it it, it uh, increases exposure. So we're doing our job. It doesn't, you know, it, giving giving the property that attention. I mean, I always say, understand just who you're talking to, okay? you By now, you've all been on social media for a long time, so you know who your audience is. You sort of know what they like by what they like, and you sort of know what they don't like. So understand just who you're talking to. Understand what's attra- what attracts your audience. You know, if you do a story, do a good story. Do something that's going to captivate them so they're going to want to come back. The next time they see, oops, there's another story by Vince or John or whomever, they're, gonna, they're probably more inclined to want to watch it. Understand where your audience wants you to be and be there. That's an interesting one. Where does your audience want you to be? based on, again, what they've seen in the past, right? So think about all these things before you produce a story, before you even post a real estate, you know, something. Your personal life, your own social stuff, that's, that's, that's fine. But make sure you are definitely um, paying attention to what you put out there based on what your audience wants to see and what they're expecting to see. Put a little bit of thought into it, people. That's all. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I and, think also- and it's irritating sometimes when you watch some of these things and it's like, they're right, especially scattered, confusing, and they don't know how to fold. They work don't know in how the to garbage disposal. They're, going, you know, they're all over the place with <laughs> yeah. a video camera. It's like stop. Yeah, <laughs> that hard. Yeah. There are some really, really interesting people that have great stories that are afraid to go on because yeah. they're afraid that they're not going to look perfect or so. Right. And and I think you know those videos you watch where Very it's really sighted. interesting content and someone's hairs in their face. Like who cares? That actually makes it more interesting if it's a good story and if you're doing something interesting. Correct. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I think social media, if I just like were to sum it up in my head, is a bit of comfort building and a bit of sort of intrigue. Like, I feel like the posts that do really well um, are you're either like showing someone that you have family and friends and like you have a life, 
and people like that because they're like, oh, well, I want to do business, you know, with 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 that with that agent. Um, or it's uh, or you have something really interesting to you know put out there, like you know you're doing you know photography or whatnot. It's like you have or you went someplace and it was an amazing event or what whatever. So I think I think that those two things especially work really well. The other thing is that I'm really curious about is younger people now are putting out a lot of their emotions on the internet well, that's, in ways that's that we're crazy. not. And I don't know how that's going to affect their careers going forward. Think, but a lot I of think people putting like, positivity out there constantly is the key. I don't think you should yeah. be negative on social media. I mean, like, listen, if you're expressing your views and it's like something of the moment and important, of course, but you shouldn't just be saying like, oh, my stomach hurts and I'm having a bad day. Right. Yeah, I kind of blow by those posts. I mean, I, yeah, can, no. I don't even understand what people I'm, are thinking yeah. about. Um, anyway, we're last last topic. We are entering a market where the buyer can truly leverage the power to exert their influence and control over a transaction. However, it is also, it's also important to recognize that if something is well priced, it will still fly off the marketplace. So we're always in this quagmire of it's not priced right, it is priced right. What are we doing? You know, over asking price. I just lost a bidding war. I keep complaining about um, recently. <laughs> how much can you negotiate? social media. <laughs> <laughs> right. How much can be Iron. negotiated in a price these days? I mean, simple brass tax. How much can you expect to get off a price for your buyer in this kind of strange marketplace we're in today? I think just sensing what the seller is going to take. Uh, StreetEasy uh, reported that this month was the most price cuts it's had in a single month. Yeah. And uh, since the recession, like... Years, yeah. yeah, like 766 and, and, yeah. price cuts yeah. in one month. Right. Uh, I think that's just old inventory too, but I mean, it tells you something. I think people who are really looking to sell will just take it's something. Also getting your seller's mind into today's market, which is um, a big challenge right now. It's to a answer your question, Vince, I mean, really, it does depend. It depends on how long a property's been on the market, how well it's priced. If you're looking for kind of a percentage, because I have had buyers of mine ask, can I expect to get this 20% off a new development? Perhaps. We, we had a 25% reduction off a, a five-bedroom in Brooklyn that was new development, some of the last inventory. The developer is ready to be done. Serious price point, serious reduction. But I would say in general for resales across the board, kind of quote-unquote normal people price ranges, mm-hmm. anywhere 2 to 5% perhaps. Mm. But, but you still have to pay more than the next guy, which I think Mr. Helmsley uh, is, is famously quoted as saying, you know, how did you acquire so many properties? And he said, I always paid a little bit more than the other guy. And that's how you don't lose. So that's sometimes getting into the mind of the buyer. Well, you still have to be. That, that, that's it. That's right. I agree with that. Anyway, we're out of time, unfortunately. Crazy show here today. That's it for me. That's our show for today. Thanks to my guests, Ken Davenport uh, and Sean uh, Atterbury for joining us today. <clears throat> Shoot for the moon, everybody, because even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And Confucius says, choose a job you like and you will never have to work a day in your life. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 